You're listening to the Disney One by One podcast, a chronological look at every Disney animated classic and beyond. Here's your host, Mike Rolfing. Hello and welcome again to Disney One by One. This week, we're talking about Dinosaur from 2000. This is the second movie, second of three that came out in the year 2000. Disney going crazy in Y2K. Remember, you can check us out everywhere on the internet at Disney1x1, and if you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, we would love that, and we'll read them here on the show. With me today, as always, is my brother David Rolfing. David, you love this movie, don't you? I wouldn't say that. <laughs> the, the biggest memory I have from this movie from childhood in 2000, so I was like seven or eight years old, um, was McDonald's hand puppet toys. So I don't, yeah. know, I don't know what that says about our childhood diet, but we did eat at McDonald's a fair amount. Right. So no, I'm not like a huge fan of this movie, nor did I absolutely love it, but we'll get into that. <laughs> and our special guest joining us today, he was a thumbs upping on our video chat when we mentioned McDonald's toys. Tim Witham, welcome to Disney One by One. Thanks so much for having me, Mike and David. So, uh, we invited you to, to join in on this episode, and I completely forgot the, uh, what your profession was. So why don't you t- tell us a little bit about yourself and why you are quite uh, appropriate. Well, you're not an archaeologist, but... Or a yeah, so unfortunately, it's, I'm not a enough. Dr. Jones type <laughs> in terms of archaeology, but um, I am a geologist. I just finished up my master's degree. So yeah, I definitely know a thing or two about rocks. However, I definitely don't want to speak too much to paleontology. That's not my expertise, but it's certainly something I loved growing up and almost loved dinosaurs as much as the dinosaur McDonald's toys. Did you have all three puppets? Okay. So the worst thing was, I think I only had the main character. McDonald's had this great thing where if you got all the toys, they kind of interlocked together, right? Because you could get the monkeys or the lemurs and you could put them on the dinosaur's back, I think. And it would like unlock a special ability with the toys. Oh, man. And I always wanted those lemurs, but I never got them. They must have had multiple sets of toys. I don't think a lemur would sit well on these little hand puppets. Oh, no. The hand puppet I do remember now. Maybe that was Burger King series or or something. Yeah, maybe it was. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if if Disney would have gone to McDonald's and Burger King. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to do some research on that. So, Tim, what, what inspired you to become a geologist? Growing up. I had a really excellent geology teacher in high school. She actually was teaching us chemistry at the time, but she got her doctorate from the University of Texas. And I come from a family of scientists, no geologists, but I just liked hiking in the outdoors and being in Boy Scouts. So it seemed like a natural fit for me. And what do you do in, in your job? So I just finished up my graduate degree and there I was basically looking at how fractures behave uh-huh. in the lab. So about as far away from dinosaurs as you can get. But Essentially, I think what's really critical for any geologist to think about is you are looking at rocks and if they contain fossils in order to really help quantify and visualize what this environment was like millions of years ago. And so that's where fossils are playing a big role for any standard geologist out in the field. They can kind of help orientate you and figure out where you actually are looking in terms of time and what sort of environment. So if you're looking at fish fossils, obviously you're looking at a marine environment versus, say, something more terrestrial with, you know, you can look at land plants or I think I'm trying to think of the coolest fossil I've seen in there. Honestly, not as cool as dinosaurs uh, at all. But um, I do know of one student I went to school with who discovered a new species of fish in her field studies. So that's kind of cool. Tim, I remember we were on a hike in Tulsa and (laughs) we were like on a pretty high up bluff, but we could see like little marine 
animal fossils and some of the rocks. And you're like, at one point, this this hill was underwater. Exactly. Yeah. So that was we we're probably looking. I would need to go back, but we we're probably looking at the some remnants of the Cretaceous Seaway, which was uh, just this really big interior ocean that features prominently um, in the book version of the start of Jurassic Park. Uh, but essentially, yeah, back in the Cretaceous, which that's going to be like around 66 million years ago or so, like you would have definitely had like an ocean there. I wonder if there is an island of lemurs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I looked it up on Wikipedia and unfortunately, um, lemurs are a much younger development in terms of iguanodons. So I don't think they were really at the same time at all. And you've never uncovered a, uh, car- a carnotaur? <laughs> With a horn dinosaur? <laughs> No, I, I haven't. But do you guys remember how prominent those were in like late 90s, early 2000s pop culture? Because they were in Jurassic Park 3 as well. Uh. Yeah, I just remember being scared as a kid. David, I think you had like a big toy version of it too. That was from Jurassic Park. Yeah, that was a Jurassic Park toy, not a dinosaur Disney Got toy. It. So Tim, how about your Disney history? Did you grow up watching Disney movies, going to the parks? How has that affected your life? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So like uh, my family and I, we loved going to the parks. My younger sister... We just really ate up Lilo and Stitch specifically, and that'll be brought up on my list of movies. But we were kind of an atypical Disney family because we uh, really, really enjoyed some of the movies that people don't talk that much about, such as Atlantis or, or, you know, that's my one of my top Disney movies ever. So, for example, I guess I'm just saying we weren't typically watching some of the older stuff or more classics. Well, those are probably the ones that came out when you were the ripe age. Exactly. Yep. And mine were more like... Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, exactly. though I'm sure maybe those are on your list too. We'll have to see. Have you been on the dinosaur ride at Animal Kingdom? Yes. And I was terrified as a kid. <laughs> Seriously, like my dad will tell you, I was crouching down in the seat of like the fake Jeep they have, like just bent down because I was so terrified. <laughs> I love that ride. And they have a carnotaur at the end that scared the heck yeah, out of me. It's a little dated now. I went on it like six months ago. But it's still fun. It's a good one to go on when it's really hot outside. It's nice and cool and dark in there. <laughs> yep. And then it's like too cold. And then you walk outside and it's refreshing for like a split second. And then you realize <laughs> yep. you're in Florida in July. So Tim, is our, the duty of our guests to rattle off their top five favorite Disney movies. You're welcome to give a little explanation with each one if you'd like. So how about your number five? Sure. So I'm going to, rather than just kind of an explanation, I'm going to say kind of like a takeaway memory. So I guess it is kind of an explanation. So number five, Frozen. And I, I, I was kind of debating what would be number five. And I just really think it's because I really like the message at the end where it's about sibling love rather than, say, romantic love. Something different. All right. Number four. It's going to have to be The Emperor's New Groove. I just think John Goodman is does a phenomenal job in this movie. And I just think it's a really unique setting and story. And we just get so many memes from it now, at the least. But honestly, the, the, that's because the humor is still really good. So I just love that movie for the laughs. And I really enjoyed it in the theaters as a kid. Nice. That will be coming up next week. I have finally watched it. We've said on this show, never I've seen never it? seen it. I've watched it in preparation of next week. I will, I will leave it at that. But you have to stay tuned okay. to see what Mike Rolfing <laughs> right, finally to thinks it. about Emperor's New Groove. <laughs> and if you haven't looked into it, the history, the development history of Emperor's New Groove is possibly the most fascinating one we've 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 had so far. So you'll have to tune in next week. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited to hear about it. All right, we're on number three. What do you got? So number three is Mulan. I just think this is a, a really just emblematic movie for Disney. I think people really think fondly of it. 
I love Mulan as the main character. The music is great. And the art is also just really beautiful. The scene that sticks out for me the most is when Mulan is kind of discussing with her ancestors, or I can't quite remember, maybe it's the ancestors are just talking amongst themselves and they're sort of these spiritual looking ghosts. And it's just a really well done scene that can truly only live in the animated world. And that's why I really like that movie. Well, they're making it live action, so we'll see how they do it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm surprised. I heard they're replacing Mushu with a falcon or a golden eagle, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, and that's just super cool. Number two. <laughs> this is going to be my sister and I's favorite when we were growing up, and that's Lilo and Stitch. Honestly, like I didn't really like it that much at the time, but the memories that stick with us the most, or me the most, was definitely the CD. I think that's where Disney really excelled with these movies, is they got the merchandising like we were just talking about the McDonald's toys. I didn't remember yeah. anything from Dinosaur, but I remembered the McDonald's toys. And what I remember the most from Lilo and Stitch is just driving our parents insane, listening to a Hawaiian roller coaster ride on repeat on the CD. And they also had like one Elvis song on there, I think, uh, Burn in Love, which is just great. So I loved listening to that CD. Nice. It's a good memory. I still have never seen that one. <laughs> really? No, I don't think so. Wow. I think like you guys that probably like I'm just offset enough in terms of age that I was at a different window slightly yeah, than y'all. Especially, you know? especially of me. All right. I can guess what your number one is because you mentioned it earlier, but go for it. Number one. It's Atlantis. Oh, man. Where do I begin with this movie? <laughs> one, I love Michael J. Fox and I love sci-fi. Like I, I love writing science fiction in my free time. And this is just a phenomenal movie, in my opinion. Oh, and it has, it's the only Disney movie I can think of, or really any movie I can think of, that has a geologist in it. <laughs> or at least one that's... Is the geologist cool in that movie? Uh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. He's the mole, and he is very French. Got it. <laughs> you touch the dirt! <laughs> I just love that character. I think I've only seen that one once. Same. But I remember another a McDonald's toy. Yeah, right. <laughs> they had the crystals. Oh, really? At McDonald's that like glowed and I thought it was so cool. Oh, was it a necklace? Yeah. Oh, sick. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, Tim, for your list. And before we move on, a couple more iTunes reviews to read for you. It's been a long time since I've done this. Apologize. First from Eric L. Peterson. This podcast is something special. I look forward to every new episode that airs and the bonus content has been some of my favorite stuff. Can't wait for the post Disney Renaissance films to get some light. Well, that's where we are right now. Such high quality editing, sound and banter. Keep up the great work. And from LB1084, I've enjoyed listening to this podcast while on my morning runs. It's funny and informative. Thanks for bringing back some deep cut Disney films from my childhood. Thanks so much for those iTunes reviews. If you leave us one, we'll read it here on the show, eventually. And if you haven't heard yours yet, you'll hear it soon. And with that, we'll move on to Dinosaur. And now, our feature presentation. What you need is a little help from the love monkey. Walt Disney Pictures presents... A story of courage, friendship, loyalty, and hope. Stand together! Dinosaur, PG. Dinosaur was originally conceived on the set of RoboCop in 1986. (laughs) Uh, Phil Tippett, who was the visual effects supervisor of that movie, was chatting with director Paul Verhoeven, and they talked about the idea of making a dinosaur movie of, of some sort. They brought the idea to Disney, 
And it was it was originally in development with Disney's live action division as a stop motion movie. So I guess that's still animation, but you do it with cameras. And so they were, it was that side of the company. And it originally was much darker and, and violent in tone. The project over the years went through a number of different iterations and directors. I guess Verhoeven and Tippett left at some point. And uh, the thing that ultimately killed the original idea was Jurassic Park was on the horizon. And they knew there's gonna be a lot of digital effects. And so they scrapped the whole stop motion idea because they knew the, the CG dinosaurs were gonna be way cooler. And they eventually in 1994, I think Jurassic Park came out in 93. In 94, they decided to reincarnate the dinosaur movie as a digital movie with the feature animation side of the company. And we've talked quite a bit in previous episodes about kind of the evolution of CG in these Disney movies. They started they started using it more and more as we've gone first off with just like a couple shots, a couple props. And now they're starting to utilize a lot more and they're like, heck, let's just make a whole movie out of CG. And actually, this is after Toy Story, which is not Disney, it's Pixar, but it's CG and computer-generated animated movies are starting to be a thing, so they decided to see if they can make a very realistic dinosaur movie in computers. The original director brought on board is our old friend George Scribner, who, if you go back a few episodes, I talked to him about his work on Oliver and Company. He was the first director on board once they decided to go the CG route, and a guy named Ralph Zondag joined him. Zombag? Zondag. Oh. <laughs> Zombag. <laughs> Scribner worked on it for a little bit, but then left because Disney Imagineering was calling his name and he did a lot of great stuff with the theme park, so I'll let him do that. They brought on a guy named Eric Layton to join Mr. Zombag <laughs> to co-direct this movie. So the casting of this movie, they, they got a few actors on board for the character of Aldar. Aldar? Aladar. Aladar. Sorry, I wrote that down wrong. For Aladar, they got a guy named D.B. Sweeney, who I didn't really recognize, but he's been on a ton of TV shows. He's a television actor. You look at his list, he's been on like all the CSIs, all the ERs, all the houses, all those, all those shows. Alfrey Woodard came on board as as the lemur mom PO. A guy named Ossie Davis was the was Yar, the lemur dad. Hayden Penetier, as a young child, was the voice of Surrey, Aladar's sister. Um, and the voice of Kron was Samuel E. Wright, who's also the voice of anyone? Sebastian from Little Mermaid. Oh, the voice of Kron. Cool. And then Juliana Margulies, another TV actor, plays Nira. So this movie started rolling. They had 48 animators working on this film using 300 computers, computer processors. They even created their own fur tool to help animate the lemurs, which also it worked on the grass as well, they found out later. Led by a guy named David Wamersley, there was a live action unit on this movie that visited California, Florida, Hawaii, Australia, Jordan, the country of Jordan, Venezuela, and Western Samoa to gather backgrounds for the movie. Most of the backgrounds in this movie are actually filmed in the wild. They had two crews travel around the world to all these places and they shot over 800,000 feet of film, which I don't really know what that translates to minutes, but that seems like a lot. <laughs> I feel like those would have been the most boring shoots ever. Or you get to go to these amazing places and just film B-roll of whatever you want. <laughs> but the B-roll is just like barely moving desert shots. <laughs> like the whole movie. If you go on YouTube and search dinosaur Disney behind the scenes, there's a little bit more detail on how they decided what shots to do and how that worked together with computers and stuff. And I don't really feel like getting into it. Yeah, Mike, you bring up a good point. I was watching this movie and I just was like, wow, these are really incredible backgrounds. And I thought it was all CGI, no. so I'm glad that kind of this uncanny V-Valley effect was creeping in for yeah. me. I was like, this looks too good. 
So I'm glad you confirmed that. It was it all filmed? Then? Yeah, almost all. Almost all the backgrounds are real. And the, the version I sent you guys is not in HD. I bet if we had a full like 1080 4K version, you could clearly tell they were real. It was a little grainy. Mm -hmm. The music. This one didn't have any singing, but it had a great soundtrack, great score composed by James Newton Howard with help from Lebo M. Lebo M was the guy on Lion King who sings, ah, Savenya, and wrote all the, uh, wrote all the good parts of the music. <laughs> all the African <laughs> choirs and those parts were written by Lebo M. There's actually a great secondary soundtrack to The Lion King called Rhythm of the Pride Lands by Lebo M that kind of is expanded versions of a lot of the all that stuff. It's all Lebo M. He's great. And he, uh, he was cool. on Dinosaur as well. And James Newton Howard, this is his first Disney movie, but he would go on to compose Atlantis and Treasure Planet. So Tim loves those. Mm -hmm. Much like The Lion King, they released the opening of this movie as a kind of an extended teaser trailer. It was in front of Toy Story 2 in theaters. At the Animal Kingdom, they have a ride now called Dinosaurs, originally called Countdown to Extinction. It was actually built before this movie came out. It's just kind of coincidence that they had oh. the same kind of dinosaurs. <laughs> so like, oh shoot, this is basically the same as our movie. So they renamed the ride Dinosaur to help promote the movie. And they altered a little bit of it and they added the name Aladar into the pre-show. But the ride always had iguanodons in it. They were just got lucky. Hmm. And they just changed the plot slightly the ride is now like about riders traveling through time to a point just before the impact of a meteor uh, and they're supposed to bring Aladar to safety or whatever. I don't know. It's the prequel to the movie. Yeah. The movie was released May 19th, 2000. That's close to my birthday. It made $350 million on its $127 million budget. It had mixed reviews. Basically, people said the tech is cool, but the plot is dumb. <laughs> so yeah. We can hash that out if we agree or not. That was the, the critical consensus. It was the fifth highest grossing film in the year 2000 behind What Women Want, Castaway, Gladiator, and Mission Impossible 2. Wow. So it outgrossed the other Disney movies that year. It That's did. surprising to me. Yeah, Fantasia 2000 didn't really make much back. David, Tim, any other fun facts to contribute to this? Oh, yeah. So if I can go first real quick. So the whole time I'm watching the movie and this voice just sounds so familiar, like tickling an old part of my childhood memory and it turns out and this guy's been in the sopranos and boardwalk empire and hbo um what's his name shoot i i didn't write down the actor's name but he plays the character zini i believe his name is like max yeah, something coachella, coachella. And, yeah coachella. yes so he voices the character for those playstation 2 fans out there he voices the character daxter in the jack and daxter <laughs> series and so that was really fun for me because it's like this guy's voice sounds so familiar and then looking up his imdb page confirm that he voiced those two characters so that was like a real childhood touchstone moment for me classic naughty dog game yep david did you find any fun facts no none this week <laughs> did you, were you too lazy and didn't look them up <laughs> I, yeah <laughs> it's all right we'll just we'll have tim's Okay, so Tim, before we dive into our reactions upon watching this again, did you what what history did you have with this movie? Had you seen it much before, or is this kind of your first time watching it? So you know, I like I was kind of saying earlier, alluding to earlier, I don't I don't necessarily remember seeing it in the theaters, but I really do strongly remember the merchandising, the ride associated with this movie, specifically 
the McDonald's toys, we did have one of those finger puppets or, you know, hand puppets. And I remember like, you know, really annoying the heck out of my sister with that, or, you know, she did the same to me. I distinctly remember the McDonald's toys or whatever toy line where you could get the little lemurs and then attach them to the dinosaurs. So like I was saying, and then the ride, of course, terrified me as well. So yeah, I, I remember a lot of the merchandising and sort of secondary products associated with this movie, but the movie itself, uh, no. David, I remember you watching this movie a lot. I did. So I had a big dinosaur phase, <laughs> as in like I got tons of dinosaur toys and I knew all this dinosaur species from books and stuff. So that was probably around the ages of like, I don't know, six to seven, somewhere around there. And this movie came out right at the end of that stage. So I was definitely aware of what a iguanodon was and what a carnotaur was and everything about that. So I definitely loved this movie, loved the whole concept and all the animals and everything. I didn't like recall the whole plot before watching it, but as we watched it, I it was coming back to me what was going to happen. It, it was a fairly straightforward plot line, so it wasn't hard to remember once I started watching it. But yeah, I hadn't seen it in forever, though. Cannot remember the last time. Yeah, we, we definitely had this movie in the house. I'm sure we saw it in the theater. And yeah, I, I mainly recall all of your dinosaurs and your dinosaur obsession and all of your dinosaur toys. And uh, I was just looking up the pictures of those hand puppets. And it reminded They're in a video, aren't they? Yes, it jogged, a, it jogged an old memory. Yeah, for my like 18th birthday slash graduation party, my parents had a surprise party for me. And, did you remember this? I remember a shot of them biting a <laughs> no, finger. It wasn't, it wasn't a finger. Or something. And there were like 50 people at this party. And one of the, we did a game where we split into like four or five teams. And each team had a cam had a video camera and you had to make a, a movie in like in like a half hour. It was like the 40 hour film project where there were some required elements. Like we had to include a line or something. My team was assigned the basement, which was full of all of David's toys. And we just made this like nonsense <laughs> video of all these like short little sketches because you couldn't edit or anything. It was all just in camera. And there's a video of the dinosaur like trying to pick up a, a pool, like a billiards ball. But it's my friend Tom, uh, yeah. who's just hilarious, going, gotta get the blades ball, gotta get the blades ball, oh, 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 no, no, oh, gotta get the blades ball, gotta get the blades ball. It's so stupid. You have to post, I will. I'll post put that it on clip Instagram, on our but Instagram. it's the Carnotaur, or whatever it's called, like trying to pick up the eight ball yeah. off the pool table. I don't know. I just was reminded of that <laughs> by pulling out these pictures. So, yeah, we had dinosaur dinosaurs in the house. All right, so Dinosaur, we've now watched it again for the first time in a while. Tim, what'd you think of it? Give me your geology reaction. So I think where Disney really shines and where the strongest parts of this movie are when it actually tries to behave like a nature documentary. So the first roughly, what, 20, 30 minutes of the flick? It's a long time, yeah. Yeah, is we're just seeing um, Aladar's sort of egg being transported around and... It's very raw and visceral, and it just feels like a nature documentary, like I was saying, but rather than being the Serengeti of present-day Africa, it's this, the time has been turned back to, you know, roughly, you know, around maybe like 75 million years ago or something, and it's just really cool getting to see this living, breathing world that CGI, I thought, was pretty serviceable, even today, to an extent. Maybe y'all will disagree with me, but just seeing 
everything kind of is a nature documentary, I think was the best part of this movie. Other than that, though, I just unfortunately really think it kind of falls apart. David, how about your initial reaction? Yeah, I mean, I definitely remember back in the day thinking it was super impressive visually. And obviously, it's our eyes have adjusted to modern animation, which is almost indistinguishable from real life. So it's way different watching it now. But the plot definitely is not something that it can really stand on because I think the visuals are more of like the impressive aspect of it when it came out. But like we just reviewed Fantasia 2000 last week and we mentioned the segment with the whales flying and how it almost looked like PlayStation 2 graphics. I mean, (laughs) when I first, in the first few scenes, there were a few dinosaurs where like, that looks pretty bad. This, This could be generated in a video game console. Um, so that definitely takes you out of it a little bit, but well, you got used to that after the first few minutes. And then I started focusing on the plot, which did not really hold up. So yeah, those are, those are kind of my high level thoughts. Yeah. I found the dinosaurs to still work fairly well. It was the lemurs that looked so awful. (laughs) (laughs) I mentioned that they created their own plug-in or software or whatever to to make the fur to make them look somewhat realistic but it's just they didn't they weren't quite there yet <laughs> and so that was certainly the the part that was the most jarring and they're in they're in there a lot to tim's point i think the beginning the first whatever it is 20 minutes is, is quite beautiful the music's amazing james newton howard's score is really good it's probably one of the highlights of this movie and especially in that opening where the the egg goes on quite a journey uh with no dialogue with just beautiful scenics and like i said if we had an hd version of it it probably would have looked even better it was a big deal back then to do what they did to film real things and stick photorealistic i'm using air quotes uh creatures nowadays with lion king and jungle book they don't even bother to go out and film the stuff they can just make it all on computers and it looks just <laughs> as good at least like historical context and the context of the year it came out it is fairly impressive but Today, it doesn't, a lot of that doesn't quite hold up. And to both of your points, like the plot itself also is just kind of lacking. I think they were, they were definitely going for the technical feat and didn't seem like they put a whole lot of effort into making the story like the most thought out. (laughs) All right. So we can get into some more specifics. Tim, were all the rocks correct? I mean, as far as I could tell, they didn't, uh, I mean, like the closest you get is like, there's actually that kind of moment where they're busting through the top soil to ba- break through into the water underneath but i didn't really pay attention i was more caught up in <laughs> the drama i guess if i have to say what was the best part of the plot Kron is like this kind of vague antagonist but not quite full villain was somewhat compelling yeah he was interesting they definitely there's definitely some tension at the end there's some good action but you know they're all gonna make it <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> I thought it was interesting. The very beginning felt a lot like Tarzan to me. It's kind of the same plot. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't think of that. Heck, monkeys even play a big part. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I didn't even think about that. I was just thinking more about just an outsider joining a family. But yeah, it's monkeys again. Lemurs, monkeys. (laughs) Similar idea where it's the baby dinosaur and the mom wants to keep it. But the dad's like, no, he's dangerous. It's like it's like almost word for word. The beginning of Tarzan. (laughs) Yeah. And the mom's like, well, you get rid of him. He's like, oh, he can stay. And they, I think yeah. they, even, they even say like, oh, he'll be good for us later. He'll be good to have in our family. It's very similar to the beginning of Tarzan. But look at him, Kerchak. Yeah. <laughs> just no, just no Phil Collins. <laughs> yeah. Big minus. This movie might have been better with some Phil Collins. I don't know. Oh, yeah. It would have been awesome. Look. <gasps> what? 
It's a cold-blooded monster from across the sea. Vicious, flesh-eating. How do they survive that meteor impact just by jumping in the water? Not even close to being realistic. That whole hemisphere would have been destroyed. Well, most of the lemurs died, didn't they? Yeah, I thought they kind of did, right? I mean, they they only showed the family survive, so... Yeah, I think, like, the 50 other ones all died in a giant fireball. Yeah, because, like, the crazy thing, though, about the... And I'm really going off my specific field. I'm not a paleontologist. I'll preface that to whatever paleontologists or biologists are listening to this. But my (laughs) understanding is that there's kind of a double... The current theory is there's a double whammy that occurred when this massive extinction at the end of... um, at the end of the Cretaceous occurred, where essentially you had not only the asteroid impact, which would have created a horrible de- debris cloud essentially around the entire Earth, but also a s- large amount of volcanism was occurring. So you just get kind of this really unfortunate double effect of the adverse effects of having a lot of ash in the air, but also from the long-term atmospheric clouding caused by the asteroid impact. So not not a drought. <laughs> Like we saw in the movie. <laughs> well, I mean, this is this kind of asks a cool question. Like, obviously, not all the dinosaurs would have died right there at the impact. How would they have proceeded to go on and, and thrive or, you know, eventually die? But the problem is they find this paradise, which would have not been a paradise. It would have been slowly dying once they found it. So, yeah, definitely doesn't really work out. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know how the shoving your foot into dry land gets water to come up. Man, yeah. uh, I don't think yeah. there'd be a crusty layer on top of a lake <laughs> yeah. that's still there. I'm really sure about yeah, that. I don't think it works out too well. If there's that, if there's dirty, like a dirty crust on top, the water is dried up. It's not just gonna. I don't know. That's weird. Unless that was all debris from the meteor and from ash that laid on top of the water and created oh, that layer. They would layer. not have been able to walk across it, man. Yeah. <laughs> At that point, I'm like, what is going on here? Like I can, yep. I can buy the talking dinosaurs, <laughs> <laughs> but the, we're on a complete, like, it's like cracking. It's so dry. And literally you push the dirt down. I mean, maybe it was like 12 inches cause they got big feet, but yep. a spring erupts from, from dry land. That didn't really make any sense <laughs> to me. thought maybe we could yep. have an explanation, but I didn't bother to research that at all. So maybe there is one. And then Kron just pushes the children out of the way. Such, such a bully. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> His brother, I guess, Bruton. I think they're brothers. Yeah, um, Crouton. Crouton. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I was gonna say. I thought they were calling him Crouton the whole time. <laughs> I thought it was Cron and Crouton. Oh, that's Sick. really what you were about to say. I thought you were gonna yeah. say something else. No. Oh, sorry. No, that was it. You stole my thunder. I stole the joke. But also, they were the same species as Aldar. They were all iguanodons. They looked like completely different. Oh, what? I didn't even catch that. They were. They were supposed yep. to be all the same species. Yeah. Cron's huh. lieutenant iguanodon. I guess Aladar is just like a super girly iguanodon. Because hmm. he doesn't have all different the subspecies, right? same features. Yeah, again, like a big question amongst paleontologists, and I'm sure you guys have seen this in some... And David, I'm sure you know, like the current consensus is at least velociraptors would have had feathers or some sort of feather-like covering. I'm always fascinated by what our interpretation, even just what, you know, about two decades ago, was that these were very leathery-skinned or, you know, kind of reptilian-looking critters when in reality they probably we we don't really it's hard to get a good read on what these colors actually were right yeah you know or what they looked like even the current carnotaurus and like t-rexes they think they probably had feathers too which would would make them look even more ridiculous their little tiny arms and then having (laughs) feathers they just look like giant birds that's like uh there's a picture going around the internet the other day that was 
an owl and they someone took their hands and slid them up the owl's legs to pull the feathers out of the way and it's like the tiny little legs and you never I'd never seen that before so we're seeing we're we're <laughs> yep. seeing in our versions of t-rexes we're just seeing the owl the owl legs yeah <laughs> but when they decide to make the live action version of dinosaur they can put feathers on them right make it make it more realistic because <laughs> live action now just means better cg better animation at least according to disney yes one thing i'll say is Disney is always pretty consistently good at making interesting, entertaining groups of side characters. I thought the other old slow dinosaurs that Aladar is protecting half the movie were a lot of fun. I don't remember their names, but there was the there was like the, the sassy lady and the big brontosaurus and the and the one that doesn't talk and acts like a dog. <laughs> yeah. It was like Spike from Oh, Land Before Time. Land Before Time. It's, exactly like that Spike. That is exactly Spike. Huh. I'm not that familiar with Land Before Time, but that was David. That was another obsession of David's. Yep. Good, good foot. Is that Tree, tree Stars? stars yeah, Tree Stars. The Stone of Cold Fire. <laughs> Are, is, is this movie similar at all to Land Before Time? Land Before Time has a lot of different like episodes and different stories, but there's one about drought, I believe. So, yeah, I guess similar. I did like that little group, and, and the lemurs were fun too. Even though they were hard to look at, I thought there were there was definitely some fun characters, despite the very simple plot. There was certainly some entertainment value. What was the line? There was some line about like she's got scaly skin, yellow eyes, big ankles. She's perfect. <laughs> Any other thoughts before we start wrapping this up, gentlemen? I thought I, I got one good laugh out of this movie and a line that I, I believe my childhood memory, which might be fuzzy, remembers it being used in commercials where one of the lemur characters says, you need some help from the love monkey. I don't know. <laughs> I just think I think my parents got a kick out of that line for whatever reason. So, yeah. Hey, at least there is some good one liners, I suppose. That was definitely in the trailer. There's also the line where they, she calls him a jerkosaurus, which I'm sure kids would love that. Oh, yeah. That was that was definitely a good playground insult for sure. David, anything else? It just was a not... It wasn't a creative plot. The whole movie, or I guess three-fourths of the movie, were them trudging through barren land looking for water. And we got the action at the end with the two Carnotaur battles, the one in the cave and then the one at the where the rocks are blocking them, which are pretty cool battles, I guess, but (laughs) I don't know. It wasn't that entertaining, the story. It just wasn't very captivating. And we talked about this recently, but like this is kind of the phase of Disney movies where they're not doing musicals for for a while. And this one doesn't doesn't have any songs. It doesn't really feel like a your typical Disney classic. It's just different. And they were going for more of like a show off the animation, show off realistic looking dinosaurs. So I I just think it, it didn't age very well for me. So Tim, it is the duty of our guest to come up with a rating system specific to the movie we're talking about. Okay. So you can rate this out of anything you want, any number you want. All right. I'm going to give it one Carnotaur horn out of two because they have two horns. We're only doing it out of two? Yes, (laughs) only out of two. Okay. It's a solid F (laughs) minus. All right. Final thoughts? 
Oh, I guess my one question for either Mike or David is, did this technology, which I still, you know, you guys maybe weren't super impressed, but I thought it still held up at least more tolerably than I thought a movie of its time would. Sure. Did this technology ever directly correlate with, say, subsequent Disney movies? I don't have the list of like every Disney movie in front of me. I just have the animated ones. So, I mean, following Dinosaur, they went back to hand-drawn animation for a while. Yeah. Or at least like the appearance of hand-drawn animation for a while. Uh, now, I, I say I don't have the whole list in front of me because there are plenty of live action movies going on subsequently that they may have utilized some of this stuff. But I would say the work they did on this certainly probably, I mean, they invented some new technologies. They created new software. I'm sure it certainly led to bigger and better things later on. So, David, out of two Carnotaur horns, we might have to do some decimal points here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we might. What what do you let, give me, let me do my calculation real quick. Uh, I give it a 1.54 out of 2. <laughs> What's that come out to? 77%. Yeah. Okay. Average, but there have been worse Disney movies we've watched. There have been better. There have been much better. But I'm not like, I don't regret watching it. I'll say sure. that. Yeah. Like, I'm glad I watched it. So that's more than I can say than some of the movies we've watched on this list. Okay. Yeah, out of two, for just doing out of two, yeah, I'd say like one point one five kind of settles in there it was entertaining it was cool to see what they try to do with the technology just as we discussed it just pretty shallow but i'm sure i'm sure the kiddos loved it back in the year 2000 like david (laughs) yes i was their target audience dinosaur obsessed eight-year-olds and it all came from the set of robocop so with that (laughs) we'll wrap up the show tim thank you so much for joining us it was great to have your your expertise Thank you. I really appreciate being here. And I just love listening to y'all's podcasts. Always high quality. Thanks. Um, And David, thank you for joining us as always. Some things start out big and some things start out small. Very small. But sometimes the smallest thing can make the biggest changes of all. Uh, Is that a parallel to the Disney one by one podcast? Not quite. (laughs) Not quite. Yes. Maybe. And that was a quote from Pleo. Was that one of the lemurs? I think that was Hayden Penetier, no? Am I right? Am I wrong? I think so. No, she played Surrey. That... She played Surrey. P.O. is the mom. Oh, was that the, the mom? P.O. is the mom. Okay. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us this week. Remember, you can check us out everywhere on the internet, on especially on Instagram, at Disney1x1. And if you could please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Tim, you're going to do that right now. We would love oh, it. I'm, I'm there. And I'll, I'm typing and away. I'll read, it, I'll read it on a show, on an episode. So you can, you can hear your lovely thoughts coming out of my voice. Next week, we have, as we mentioned, The Emperor's New Groove. I have seen it for the first time just yesterday. So this is a, you'll have to wait and see, you have to tune in to see what Mike Rolfing thought of Emperor's New Groove because it it has been been proclaimed as an incredible movie by numerous people on this show. And uh, I have never seen it. So we will see you then. Goodbye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Disney One by One podcast. If you have any questions or suggestions, send us an email to Disney1x1 at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Disney1x1 and at Disney1x1.com. We'll be back next week with another exciting episode of the Disney One by One podcast. He has to find a quote. It always takes him a minute. From the movie? Yes, sorry. It's it's this tradition he started but never prepares for. Oh. (laughs) You're not going to say you need some help from the love monkey? Or don't be a jerkosaurus, listen to us? You already said that. (laughs) Okay.
I've started just like keeping these these parts in the show. <laughs> of him, yeah, of him I think it's fun. 